Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Man, I don't believe it, but here it is. We've reached the end of yet another busy broadcast week. It is Friday. You know what that means, folks. Live from the Southern Command in sunny yes, Serena. It's Open Line Friday. Yes, sirree. Open Line Friday. Now, it differs from uh, the other days of the week in that... You can pretty much bring up anything. It doesn't have to be something we're talking about at the moment. It doesn't have to be something that I particularly care about. Now, we don't open. You just can't start telling lies. You can't start telling anecdotal stuff that doesn't make any sense. Don't, 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 don't think it permits you to do that. You can just go way outside the normal boundaries on Friday. If you've got questions about stuff... Like, if you'd like to go work at the Washington Redskins right now, and you want a tip on how to get a job there, this is the place to call. For example, anyway, it's great to be with you. It's great to have you here. The telephone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. And the email address, elrushbo at eibnet.us. Just a reminder, uh, I will be here on Monday, and probably not the remainder of next week. I'll be shooting to get back on Friday. But it is what we call um, treatment week uh, next week. Every three weeks, uh, these happen, and uh, next week is treatment week. And so uh, I'll be here on Monday, and we have some guest hosts on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and a guest host standing by on Friday, but try to get here Friday, but... It, it never know. It, it all depends on um, the uh, side effects, if there are any, to the latest treatment. Last time, the side, the side effects lasted a day or two, and I was expecting 10 days based on historical precedence. Because I was figuring, you know, you, you, you add treatment on top of treatment, that's you're adding toxicity on top of toxicity. The stuff doesn't dissipate immediately. I mean, just three-week interval, but it doesn't go away after three weeks. So we were expecting that it'd be, uh, whereas it was a week before that, we were expecting 10 days, and it was just two days. It was great news. So 
We don't know what it's going to be this next time. You never do. It's day to day. So the target will be next uh, next Friday to uh, get back. Folks, have you seen all of the hubbub over a couple of Republican governors like the South Dakota governor, Christy Noem, who really is a huge success story? And, of course, the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, they have resisted calls to issue statewide mask mandates. The the Democrats and the Democrats in the media are pushing to have the president issue a nationwide mask mandate. Never mind that there's never been such a thing before. Never mind that it would probably be unconstitutional. And never mind that it might actually be harmful. It might actually be counterproductive to have a national mandate on wearing masks. Of course, in much of this COVID-19 stuff, we kind of left the Constitution behind sometime back in the middle of March. Diane Feinstein, senator from um, California, she's going to propose an amendment that would withhold coronavirus aid to states that don't have a mask mandate. And I'm trying to remember, was there ever a law? Let's go back to AIDS. Mr. Snurdly, help me. Was there ever a law that mandated that gay people wear condoms during AIDS? Why not? I mean, the, the, the condom is the equivalent of the mask back then. It would have been too intrusive? The, what, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you mean to use that word? The condom would be too intrusive? You mean too discriminatory? Well, it, oh, intrusive on their civil rights. I thought you intrusive on a bodily orifice is what you were talking about. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. No, seriously. I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this, but back during the AIDS, and it was a genuine crisis, and it was it affected without exception the gay male population. They tried to say that it was going to it was going to uh, transmute to the heterosexual population, but it never really did, other than blood transfusions and dirty needles, but but not by way of heterosexual sex. So, if there had been a mandate that every gay individual wear a condom. It would have been the same as this proposed national mask mandate. It would have been laughed at back in the 80s. It would have been totally opposed. And it's a ridiculous idea. But Dianne Feinstein is going to propose an amendment that would withhold coronavirus aid to states that do not have such a mask mandate. Remember that Feinstein was uh, one of the Democrats who had a cow when Trump said that he would withhold federal aid from cities and states that sheltered criminal illegal aliens in their sanctuary cities. But I want to share with you a story here. I just got this. What an amazing coincidence. Dr. Spencer, a well-known climatologist, University of Alabama, Huntsville. He sent this to me after having posted it on his Facebook page. I'm going to read it to you. 
A COVID-19 story and the dangers of politicizing a virus. Dr. Spencer says, I just asked a friend in a major American city who owns a successful medical testing business. I just asked him his opinion about masks. He's on the advisory board to one of the top hospitals in the country. You'd recognize the name. He is an expert in immunology. He is an expert in epidemiology and a couple other medical ologies. His wife is an ER nurse. That'd be emergency room for those of you. Well, I get you and Rio Linda know what ER is. You practically live there. They both believe. <laughs> little little humor there. They they both believe. Both the doctor here and his ER nurse nurse believe that the public wearing masks is probably doing more harm than good because cloth masks are being reused. They're being laid down on unsanitary surfaces and recycling bacteria from the wearer. And you know this is happening. You know, people are improvising and making their own coverings. They're not, they're, some of them are not using strictly medical masks. They're using bandana type things. And they want to look like little Stephen Van Zant. And they want to look like some biker or whatever. So people are out there making up their own masks out of non-medical equipment. But that wasn't the main point the guy wanted to make. He told the story of a friend whose wife recently got very sick with COVID-like symptoms and was admitted to a very good hospital in the city. She was told that she had COVID-19 by three top medical professionals. Her husband, the famed doctor, called my friend to say that her health was failing. She was not expected to live. My friend told him to insist that she be tested for other illnesses, that everybody's got a COVID-19 bias, even in hospitals. Make sure he was told that you test her for other things, and they did. And you know what? They found out she had Legionnaire's disease. She did not have COVID-19. Legionnaire's is bacterial. It is not a virus. She was treated for Legionnaire's disease and released a day or so later. A day or so earlier, she was pronounced, for all intents and purposes, dead with COVID-19. All because of this bias toward chalking everybody up with COVID-19. And how did she get Legionnaire's disease? Mask. You know, these things can trap bacteria. You're not... Medical professionals are not even supposed to wear these things all day. You're supposed to take them off when you have a chance to, right? You're not supposed to be wearing these things all day long. You don't have to put one on when you're in the car driving around, only when you get out of the car. The doctor buddy also related that he has personally known more people who commit suicide in recent months that have had COVID-19. So, Dr. Spencer here says that COVID mania is causing harm. Following the science means making rational decisions. When the government pays hospital extra money for having COVID patients, you can bet that every illness is suddenly going to look more like COVID than before the financial incentive existed. Hey, undeniable. It's, it's, 
It's unfortunate. It's very sad. But if there is money to be made, this is how climate change uh, gets expanded and extended. You, you corrupt every science in it, scientist in it, by giving them money. Give them money for coming to certain decisions and, and, uh, and going public with, with uh, their opinions on climate change. You pay them to do so and you're going to corrupt them. And it's happening now with COVID-19. And isn't it amazing, the story we had out of Florida, we've had it earlier this week, that 300 Florida testing sites had somehow managed to report 100% positivity during COVID-19 tests. And that story is where? It's buried. It's gone. It didn't appear anywhere other than here and elsewhere in so-called conservative media. It's the story of the day when it hit. COVID-19 testing centers, 300 of them, reporting 100% positivity. That's a scandal. It's been buried. It's been ignored. Can't find any evidence of it around. It didn't... It didn't survive much beyond Fox 35 Orlando, who did the original uh, reporting on it. So this stuff is, is, is going to continue. The effort is to portray Trump as incompetent, uncaring, has no compassion, doesn't care what happens to people with COVID-19. All Trump wants is to get himself reelected. But everything here is about getting rid of Donald Trump on November 3rd. That's what all of this is about. I also have here another piece by Conrad Black. Conrad Black, along the lines of Victor Davis Hanson, these people tend to be optimists. They tend to look at the current zeitgeist the spirit of the times, and they are able to see through them and to wade through all the negativism and ignore it. And Conrad's piece, which I will pull quote for you today as the program unfolds, is entitled, Democrats Don't Have the Winning Hand, Even with the Incessant Democrat Media Effort to terrify the entire population out of its wits over the COVID-19 pandemic, it will no longer be possible to represent Trump as President Chaos. He thinks we're almost on the other side of this, and so does VDH. Victor Davis Hanson believes that we are almost on the other side of this, that the Democrats were right there at the border of where the Democrats have blown it. Not yet, but we're close. I'll give you an example from, from Conrad's piece of pull quote. Now that the riots have almost stopped... The public can consider how the unjust killing by white policemen of an African-American in Minneapolis May 25th led so suddenly to the destruction of statues of Columbus, Ulysses S. Grant, Frederick Douglass, almost Abraham Lincoln, as well as to the defacing of monuments to American World War II dead. And as the dust settles on this ghastly episode, the country will have to reflect on the hopeless Democrat municipal strategies headed by such 
allegories of the insolent corruption of incumbency as mayors de Blasio, Lori Lightweight, Chicago, Eric Garcetti, Los Angeles, Muriel Browser in Washington. He is of the opinion that the vast majority, and it's a silent one, is going to conclude these people are dangerously incompetent, in over their heads, and most importantly, wrong. And as they reduce police budgets, and as they continue to pander to African-American radicals like Black Lives Matter, who are riddled with anti-white racists or Marxist guerrillas and thugs, will their constituencies see the connections between these policies and events, even with the incessant Democrat media effort to terrify the whole population out of its wits, over COVID-19, it'll no longer be possible to represent Trump as president of chaos. This is a positive outlook based on interpretations of the, this interpretation, by the way, relies on and requires a belief in the intelligence, involvement, and immersion into the story of the American people, of a majority of the American people who to this day remain virtuous, who remain moral, and who desperately wish to maintain the American way of life. You got to believe they're there to think what Conrad thinks. You got to believe that they're motivated to vote. You got to believe that they're in great numbers and they are going to shock again the country and world on Election Day. Because the Democrats are already of the opinion that Trump has lost, that they have won. So it's a replay of 2016 again. Anyway, let me take a break here. And we'll come back and continue. Open line Friday again, number 800-282-2882. Do not go away. The official program observer, Mr. Snurdly. Yeah, well, yeah, this is a very important program. We have a program observer. We have somebody who observes it and documents it and archives it for history. We don't just let this program go off in the ether. Uh, RushLimbaugh.com is also the official archivist of the EIB network. Uh, and you can you can call them uh, program observers. But the, the actual title goes to Mr. Snurdly, who also is the official screener of calls. He asked me yesterday, what is this big story everybody waiting on to drop about the Washington Redskins? I said, well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's about they're not going to have a new name. Maybe they're just going to be called the Washingtons. Maybe they're going to be called the Washington Republicans. Maybe they're going to be called the Washington Diplomats. Maybe they're going to be called the Washington Rugrats. Who knows? Well, we, we, we know now what it is. Fifteen women allege sexual misconduct by former Washington Redskin employees. Well, you hadn't heard this yet? Fifteen women who previously worked for the Washington NFL organization. They don't say Redskins anymore. This is from, this is a ESPN's story. Fifteen women who previously worked for Washington's NFL organization. The Redskins have alleged sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former scouts and members of owner Daniel Snyder's inner circle, according to the Washington Post. Now, Snyder is alleged to have done none of this, but that he may have known about it. It was his inner circle engaged in it. Among those accused of misconduct are former director of pro personnel Alex Santos. Now, 
For those of you who do not understand the organizational structure of a football, what is the director of pro personnel? Everybody on a pro football team is a pro. So you got you telling me that you have a director of pro personnel? You got somebody that's in charge of the players? What's the general manager do? What's what's the coach do? Well, what it actually means, pro personnel is about scouting and drafting and developing new players. It's not about the current roster. But they have these weird corporate titles in football. Anyway, the former director of pro personnel, Alex Santos, the former assistant director of pro personnel, Richard Mann II, the play-by-play radio guy, Larry Michael, all departed the organization. They were among the accused. We will be back. Now, let me ask you a question. I want to read to you a statement here from the NFL that they released this morning. This is after the news hit that 15 women have alleged sexual misconduct and bullying and uh, uh, verbal abuse by former scouts and members of the Redskins front office. The NFL said these matters, as reported, are serious. They are disturbing and contrary to the NFL's values. Everyone in the NFL has the right to work in an environment free from any and all forms of harassment. Do you agree with that statement? That everyone has the right to work in an environment free from any kind and all forms of harassment. Do Democrats believe that? Ask your Democrat friends if they 100% agree that everyone has the right to work in an environment free from any and all forms of harassment. You know what they're going to say? Hell yeah. Damn right. Everybody has a right. Everybody has a constitutional right to not be harassed and to work free of all forms of harassment. Damn right. Okay. Then they ask these same Democrats if it'd be okay for somebody in their office to wear a Make America Great Again hat to work. Ask them if it'd be okay to come to work with a Trump bumper sticker on their car. Ask them if they would defend a co-worker who, when asked, proudly says he or she going to be voting for Trump in November. You'll find out very quickly that Democrats do not believe that everybody has the right to work in an environment free from any and all forms of harassment. In fact, the modus operandi of the Democrat Party today is harassment. Twitter, Facebook, wherever you go, the Democrat Party is harassing anybody and everybody who does not agree with it. So the Democrats don't believe in a work environment free from any and all forms of harassment. They certainly, even though they would tell you they think they do. Fact is, Democrats don't respect everybody's right to work in an environment free from any and all forms of harassment. Like our justice system, we have a two-tier system of harassment. Democrats are allowed to get away with it wherever. They can harass cops. They can beat cops up. They can beat cops up with canes. They're not going to be charged. You better not defend your property like the McCluskeys in St. Louis. 
You got a mob outside your front door on the way to the mayor's house. You better not go out with a gun that you have and try to use it to threaten these people and not attack you or your property because you will be held to account. Oh, there's a companion story. Looky here. Former Ellen DeGeneres staffers bash toxic workplace culture on her talk show. Have you heard about this? A black woman. Oh, no. You don't say. A black woman working on the Ellen DeGeneres show said she repeatedly dealt with racist comments and microaggressions. And yet another damning story relating to Ellen DeGeneres, the alleged comedian. The former employee was among 11 mostly former staffers who detailed horror stories from the toxic work environment at the Ellen DeGeneres show in a BuzzFeed article yesterday, pulling the curtain back on the cheery comedic host. Now, you probably have heard or seen people say that Daniel Snyder must sell his team due to all of this harassment and the charges. Brought to light by the Washington Post. They say that Snyder, he may not have been the subject of the complaints. He may not have been one of the perps, but he's responsible and he should sell a team. So I read this story about Ellen DeGeneres. I thought, this is no different than the bombshell story about the Washington Redskins, except that the Ellen DeGeneres story is not presented as a bombshell at all. Both stories detail toxic work environments and the DeGeneres show, particularly for African-American workers. One story is about a white guy who owns an NFL franchise. Sexual harassment is alleged. The other concerns a white woman who owns a television show in Hollywood. Racism is alleged. Think these two situations be viewed by the fake news media as the same or different? Ha! We know the answer. By the way, Fox 35 in Orlando is back. These people ought to be in the running to win Pulitzers. This is this morning. I think No, it's last night. Fox 35 WOFL-TV during a report about a guy who died in a motorcycle accident being added to the COVID-19 death statistics. Here's the Orange County, Florida health officer, Dr. Raul Pino. He died um, in a motorcycle accident. I mean, it's a hundred. It's not make any difference if it's 99. But the validity that the fact that the individual didn't have, didn't die from COVID-19, died in a crash accident. But you can actually argue that it could have been the COVID-19 that caused him to crash. So I, I don't know the conclusion of that one. Were you able to understand Dr. Raul Pino there? Dr. Raul Pino said he uh, died um, uh, in a motorcycle accident. I mean, it's 100. Uh, no, it doesn't make any difference if it's a 99. But the validity that the fact that the individual did not have, did not die from COVID-19, he died in a motorcycle crash. But you can actually argue it could have been COVID-19 that caused him to crash. So I don't know the conclusion. What do you mean it could have been COVID-19 that caused him to clash, crash? Oh, you mean he could have been so upset. He could have been reading about COVID-19 and how bad it is out there and got on his motorcycle, so distracted he crashed. Therefore, COVID-19 is the reason. 
point is that Fox 35 Orlando has uncovered and revealed another example. This is a one-off of fraudulent claims, people dying because of COVID-19. Let me get started on the phones. Always try to get started early in the first hour on Open Line Friday. This is Daniel in Pensacola, Florida. Welcome, sir. I'm glad you called. You're up first today. Hey, hey, Rush. How you doing? Just fine, sir. Thank you. Awesome. You've been eating your veggies, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> are you still there? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm doing other things. I'm listening while you talk. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, calling because I was. I'm planning on voting for Biden uh, this next upcoming election. My coworkers uh, are Trump supporters. They say that I should uh, be voting for Trump. Anyway, they said I should give you a call. And, uh, and and you uh, so you can uh, convince me otherwise. Convince did you did to... you vote for Trump in 2016? Uh, I did not. No, you did not. So you're not actually a Trump supporter abandoning him. Who did you vote for Hillary in 2016? I did. Yes, sir. So is it safe to say you're a Democrat? No wrong answer. Don't don't misunderstand the tone of my voice. I'm just trying to learn a little bit about you before I give you my advice. I see. Uh, I would not say that necessarily. I actually am registered Republican. You know, I was raised Republican and stuff like that. But I uh, just sort of uh, sort of been changing, I guess, over the over the last uh, you know the last uh, several years. Okay. So why do you want to vote for Biden? And actually, are you voting for Biden or are you fed up with Trump? Just voting against Trump? Yeah. See, it's more like that. It's more like. I'm not a big fan of Trump's personality of his uh, uh, his demeanor, the way he uh, the way he talks to people, that kind of thing, and uh, and mostly that. So more like I'm voting against Trump. Yes. All right. Well, we can't actually then put you in the loss column since since you didn't vote for Trump in 2016. You you uh, you haven't ever voted for him. Here's what yes, I would sir. here's what I would say. Do you have? Um, how, how old are you? Do you mind telling me that? I'm 27. You're 27. Okay, so you're you're a millennial. Do you have, uh, and again, don't misunderstand the tone of these questions. I'm not, I'm not asking anything in an accusatory way, okay? I'm just generally trying to okay. sure. learn things. Do you have any desire that the United States of America remain the country that it was founded to be? Do you... Appreciate the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the uh, individual liberties and freedom enshrined in the Constitution, that the Constitution limits what government can do in terms of infringing uh, individual liberty and freedom. Do you do you hope that that America goes on and on and on and survives? Uh, I'm going to go with yes, sir. Okay, well, that's good. because I, I'm going to tell you honestly... Uh, and you probably are going to find it hard to believe because it's going to sound extreme to you. But if the Democrat Party, as it's currently constituted, wins the election and isn't Biden, somebody besides Biden is actually going to be president. Biden is just the placeholder. He doesn't he's got some mental deficiencies due to age that he, okay. he, he's a front man for. We don't know who really. But if oh, really? they if they win. You can take a look at the rioting in the streets and the defunding of police and the attempt to take guns out of the hands of law-abiding people. And that's going to be the country you will have empowered. You are – the Democrat Party today has been taken over by 
Marxists and radical leftists who want to do away with the whole concept of individual liberty and freedom. They're not interested in debating you about it. They don't care what you think or anybody else that disagrees with them. They're going to force their way, even though they are a minority, they're going to force their ways on everybody using the intimidation you see. And the Democrats are going to help this happen by defunding police departments. It Preserving the American way of life is what this election is all about. If the Democrats win, that's finished. So you mentioned that uh, you think Biden's uh, mental health is deteriorating. Do you think that candidates are, should be required to take some sort of like mental test or something? No, like I think this? this is up. See, this is why you have a functioning press. If we had a genuine journalism-oriented media, the American people would know this about Biden. But because the media is the Democrat Party and the media today, the national media is the Washington Press Corps particularly, is devoted to advancing the Democrat Party agenda. The people that only watch ABC, CBS, NBC, blah, blah, have no idea of Biden's mental deficiencies. They're not reported on. They're not discussed. Examples of them are not aired. So whatever percentage of people that only get their news from the networks, the New York Times, Washington Post don't even know. Uh, normally, a functioning media would be reporting the truth about both candidates. But in this case, they're devoted to one thing, destroying Donald Trump. And it sounds like, in your mind, it's working on you. <laughs> you might be right. Uh, did you I mean, support I, Bernie, by the way? Did, were, did, did, you, did you have any uh, in the primaries? Were you a Bernie Sanders guy by any chance? I wasn't, I'm not against him. I would, not, I would say... For me, it didn't matter. It's more like, you know, my mind's like just so blue, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't like uh, Bernie or, or Biden saying it was, uh, you know, either one would have been, uh, I, I would All consider right. suitable. Daniel, you're, you're 27 years old, and, and yeah. that's relatively young. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, ju- it just means that you haven't lived long enough to have had uh, time enough to absorb a whole lot of different experiences and acquire a whole lot of knowledge and again it's just a function of age but i i, I have no reason to lie to you there's i it does me no good if i lie you find out i've lied it just discredits me just telling you that if the democrat party as it's currently constituted as it's currently campaigning if it wins you can kiss goodbye what you think and what you like about the United States. And I'm not exaggerating a bit here. That's what this election is all about, preserving the American way of life. And the, 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 the it's, it's not just the Democrats and Republicans and their four-year campaign battles. And, you know, Democrats win some and the Republicans win some and they trade power. That's not what this is. There's a genuine fear if the Democrats win in November that it'll be the last time that the Republicans will never, ever win again for a host of reasons, uh, which would be horrible and for the country and horrible for everybody. I would, don't take my word for this, actually take some time to look into, you want to vote for Biden, forget him, take a look at what he stands for, what the agenda he's pushing is. It's the most radical left agenda that we've had. Educate yourself on this. Don't take my word for it. You got plenty of time to do it. You got till November 3rd to do this. But don't do this on the basis of personalities. Do not vote against Trump because you don't like the way he talks or tweets. It's about so much more than that. 
and you owe it to yourself to learn. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Open Line Friday. Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being, of which I am a prominent one, should be allowed to have. Okay, so we've got this this major, major story. The Washington Redskins, 15 women claim sexual harassment, verbal abuse, and unkind, unfair working environment. Where have we heard this before? Oh, yeah. Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss, op-ed page associate editor of the New York Times, resigned this week. And here's how she described the working environment, the workplace harassment at the New York Times. Quote, My own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They've called me a Nazi. They called me a racist. I've learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by other co-workers. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. There, some co-workers insisted I need to be rooted out of this company. It's to be truly inclusive one. Wait, insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be truly inclusive. So she needs to be tossed out. While others post axe emojis next to my name. Still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter. With no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all of this. Unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, constructive discharge. So they've got this gigantic story in the Washington Post on how horrible it is to work at the Washington Redskins. And the story of Barry Weiss didn't last more than a day about the hostile work environment, the discrimination, the bigotry, and the racism at the New York Times. Isn't it amazing how the Times gets a pass, no concern, but they can't wait to dump on the Redskins and Daniel Snyder. Okay, folks, sit tight, be patient. We have Open Line Friday officially underway. The first hour is in the can on the way over to Limbaugh Broadcast Museum, and we'll back be back El Quico and pick up on hour two uh, before you know it. The views expressed by the host on this program documented to be almost always right 99.8% of the time. That's the latest opinion audit from the Sullivan Group. In addition to that, the latest model runs projecting the audience on this program are now saying that by the end of this month, we could be exceeding 60 million daily listeners. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! And this is... One of our favorite days of the week, because you never know what we're going to get. The, the program's just not as tightly screened. Like that 27-year-old guy, going to vote for Biden. He did not vote for Trump in 2016. He's going to vote for Biden. His friend said, no, you got to call Rush and have Rush talk to you about this. So we did. And I don't know if I got through, but I gave it a shot. 
But I made it a point not to wag my finger and not to belittle his choice, but to tell him flat out what's at stake. And I, folks, this is the thing. You know, I think I think a lot of a lot of language over the past fifteen to twenty years has dulled the senses. In that, it's been said of the last eight presidential elections that it's the most important election in the history of the country, or it's the most important election of our lifetimes. And they're saying it about this one. But you know, it may actually be true about this one, but because it's been said about all previous elections, a lot of people tune that out. Remember, folks, not everybody is as immersed in all of this as we are. I mean, you've seen, what's that stupid show, Tiger King? You think those people spend any time at all thinking about this stuff? Ha! Are you kidding me? And then have you have you seen, also on Netflix, I forget the title of this thing, but the, the two uh, series series of episodes on Stephen Avery and murder in Wisconsin. You think those people are paying serious attention to what's going on in Washington and politics? <laughs> uh, you've seen Duck Dynasty. I mean, any number of programs that give you blatant evidence that even if they are paying attention, it ain't good. But yet... We're out there saying this is the most important election of our lifetimes. This one probably is. And the reason that I say this, and I'd I'd have to double check my history on this. And the reason I say that is a lot of people make the mistake of assuming that things that are happening in their lifetimes are happening for the first time, that they've never happened. This just happens to be a psychological quirk of humanity. Everybody believes, for example, that the times they are living in are the worst they've ever been, or in some cases, the best. Um, A lot of people think that things happening in their lifetimes have never, ever happened before. That's, That's actually not possible. There isn't anything happening today that hasn't happened in one way or another in the past. But I'm trying to think, have we actually had one of the two major political parties running on a Marxist communist agenda? Now, I know the communists have launched presidential candidates, but they've been in the fringe Communist Party USA, we know, with 15 or 20 votes. And I know that other fringe groups have managed to uh, get people on ballots for the Senate and maybe even the presidency in a few states. So the idea that, that, that we've had communist candidates before is not new. We have. We've had Marxist candidates before. The difference is they were perceived as jokes. They didn't have a prayer of winning. But now that's all out the window. Today, this election does, in fact, feature a Marxist communist agenda. It is the agenda of Bernie Sanders. That's the deal. Bernie Sanders 
goes away, stops contesting for the nomination, gives it to Biden, but his agenda is adopted for the campaign. And it's based on the fact that the Democrats believe that Twitter is America, that Twitter is a majority of the thinking of this country. So we've 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 never. I don't think I'll have to check, but I don't think we've ever had a presidential election where one of the major contending parties has as its objective to overthrow the Constitution of the United States and to rebuild America into something it was never founded to be. That's what's at stake in this election. It isn't about Donald Trump and his personality and his tweeting. It isn't about Joe Biden and his 47 years in Washington. It's about who's really behind Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a placeholder. Joe Biden is suffering from old age mental deficiencies that are going to make it impossible for him to carry out presidential duties daily. Now, he'll appear to be president, but he's not going to be. Whoever it is behind Biden is anonymous. They're running, but not running. They're campaigning, but not campaigning. They don't have to raise any money. They don't have to tell you who they are. They don't have to say what their agenda is. It's it's a free ride to the presidency on the back of Joe Biden, who is totally comfortable with it because he's excited to be president for the day or two that he will be. Plus, he's a loyal Democrat. Whatever they tell him to say, he's going to say. Joe Biden is saying things when they put him on the prompter that he's never. Whatever you want to believe about Biden, he's not a Marxist. He never has been. He's been. He's flirt. He's flirted with radical leftism, but he's not a Marxist. He's his real danger is that he's just he's, he's not. And never has been that bright. But he's been a loyal Democrat. He ran the Judiciary Committee when the Democrats owned the Senate. He was in charge of judicial confirmations in that sense. But this election really is a crucial one because it may forever change the way people vote. Not just because of COVID-19, but because... The Democrat Party does not want to have to run for election year after year after year. I've warned you about this. If you're the Democrat Party, if you're the American left, if you're the Marxist, if you're a known minority. And you have no interest in debating anybody, you're not interested in persuading anybody, it's a waste of time. You're not seeking approval for what you believe in. You're not seeking support for what you believe in, not intellectually. You believe in forcing and being able to force your beliefs and your policies on people via intimidation and fear-mongering. You don't want to have to debate anybody. It's beneath you. You don't want to have to win hearts and minds because that's not how you govern. You govern by force. You govern by overpowering opposition. You delegitimize your opposition. They don't even exist. Well, if that's your mindset, then what's the one thing standing in your way? 
every two to four years is elections. Elections are the most offensive thing in your life if you are a legitimate Marxist or communist because the people don't get a choice in how they live and how they're governed in Marxism and communism. They don't have a choice. They don't have a say. The very idea that these Marxists and communists have to run for election in the first place offends the hell out of them. So I happen to believe, and I'm confident, that their objective, as soon as they can pull this off, is to eliminate elections. Now, they may not actually eliminate voting, but they're going to make them pointless. Every election will be like electing Putin. There is no opposition other than faux, fake opposition to make it look like the winner had to compete and overcome opposition. So I'm not saying that they're going to get rid of elections, but they're going to get rid of meaningful ones. They're going to get rid of elections that actually count. They're going to stack the deck. This is what Marxists and communists do. Folks, they're not interested. I cannot emphasize this enough. This is why I get so frustrated when I hear Republicans talking about moving across the aisle and showing that we can cooperate and we can work with them and that we can get things done together. They don't care. They're not interested in working with anybody that doesn't agree with them. All they want to do is eliminate opposition. That is, in a nutshell, one of the objectives of Marxism and communism to its survival. No opposition. Just eliminate it. It's beneath them to have to debate. It's beneath them to have to battle for people's hearts and minds because what the people think and want is irrelevant in Marxism and communism. There is all kinds of racism and sexism and bigotry. There is lack of civil liberties. Marxism and communism, first thing that happens, people's freedom is taken from them. If they refuse to have it taken from them, they're sent to re-education camps or whatever they would be called here. These are things that we actually face. And I'm not even having to theorize. This is what's on the streets of America's blue cities, in America's blue states. This is who's marching. Defund the police department? Are you kidding me? Get rid of the police department. Look at what's happening in these places that Democrats run with no opposition. You wouldn't want to live there. In fact, folks, I'll, I'll present something else to you. I have said to you that what is really scary about America in 2020 is they're not. There isn't one thing that unites the people of this country. Not a single thing. In World War II, for example, there was. And that was defending the country from attack. Whatever our political differences were, were put aside. All came together in the name of the flag, in the name of the country, in the name of defeating fascism, Nazism, the Japanese. What is the one thing that unites the people of this country today? There isn't anything. There isn't any overlap of commonality. So, the real question is, or a real question, how can we go on this way? How can we continue to have a country 
that's united when it isn't. We are not right now the United States of America. We are in name only. If you think as I do, what do you have in common with the people running New York City? What do you have in common with that mayor of Portland? What do you have in common with any of these people that you're afraid to be who you are in front of? And we've had people call this week. I'm afraid to let them know I'm a Trump supporter. I'm afraid to let them know. You're afraid of, pe- you're afraid of the people disagreeing with you. You don't want them to know who you are. So don't tell me that we have things in common. Don't tell me that there's things about which we can all come together and rally as one America because the circumstance doesn't exist. So how do we, how do we exist as a united country? We don't. Now, I don't think there's going to be a civil war with declared military-type hostilities as there was in the 1860s. But I can see secession coming. I don't know when. I can see California and New York and the, you know, the northern half of Illinois splitting up. That would be fun in terms of imagining it because you know what would happen if that ever did happen they wouldn't be able to support themselves they would become welfare states they become autocratic tyrannies where would they get what they need they'd have to get it from the other part of the country that goes to work every day it produces anyway that's that's for way down the line i'm just telling you this election really does feature aspects and consequences that we haven't faced before. Now, some might say that if if Hillary had won in 2016, we'd be in the same circumstance. And that, you know, Michael Anton wrote a great piece called The Flight 93 Election that explained what the 2016 election was all about, and I, I agreed with it wholeheartedly. The never-Trumpers despised Anton. They went out with long knives for the guy. But it was a brilliant, brilliant piece. Flight 93, of course, the hijacked terrorist plane that landed, crashed in Pennsylvania in a field in western Pennsylvania because the passengers took over to save the target, which was Washington, somewhere in Washington. So you could arguably say that if Hillary had won in 2016, it would have been over. America as we know it. And I don't think there's much doubt of that. Look, we wouldn't we wouldn't know half of what we know about the coup because there wouldn't have been a coup because it would have worked. The coup would have succeeded. Hillary would have been elected. The coup was run also during the campaign, don't forget. We'd have never gotten to the bottom of it. Now we'll be four years later and... Name for me a Republican candidate out there that you can see getting behind as much as you can Trump. Name a Republican candidate that's going to have 96, 98 percent loyal support among voters as Trump has. I don't know that that Republican exists. I could go on with this, but I have to take a break here. It's obscene profit timeout time. So be with us till we get back. Don't go anywhere. Here's Lee Ann in Land Lakes, Florida. Welcome to the uh, Rush Limbaugh program on Friday. Great to have you, Lee Ann. Hi. Hey, Rush. Thanks for having me on. You bet. 
Um, I, I work for a large corporation. There's like over 40,000 employees. And over the last month or so, we've gotten like 10 to 12 emails about how racist America is, how we have to be aware of our unconscious bias. Whoa, 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 whoa. From who? From the CEO of our company and from VPs of the company. You have got to know. I, I, I know that uh, the American CEO class has gone radical left in the last 10 years or so. I, I know that's been happening. But oh, this, this is really bad. And how they stand with Black Lives Matter. Um, they want us to read the 1619 Project. They want You've got to be kidding. That's a, that, that's a fraudulent, made-up New York Times bogus thing. Yeah, white white fragility. Um, white fragility, Beverly D'Angelo or whatever it is. Yeah, it's on one of the um, books to read. Yeah, well, that's the thing I read yesterday. This yeah. the supposed take on white culture that's so destructive to the country. You're having to read all of this. The CEO is suggesting you do all of this. Yeah, resources for everyone to read, and and there's a list here. It goes on and on. When are you supposed to do this? In your off hours? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they just want us to educate ourselves because you know of our unconscious bias, and um, and now they're. Raising do you think money. your CEO knows that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist communist organization, not civil rights? I, I don't know how they can know, but they're, they're raising, they want to raise like $5 million. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a minute. Oh, whoa, whoa. Hey, Leanne, hang on. We're coming right back to you. I just have to know, I'm, I'm looking at Fox, and they're just going overboard on this Redskin story. They can't drop it. It's all they're talking about. And, of course, everybody's already forgotten about the abuse, the harassment, the anti-Semitism in the New York Times newsroom that Barry Weiss resigned over. She quit. She had this massive public resignation letter, and now here comes this story in the Washington Post on the Redskins, and it totally sweeps aside the same damn set of circumstances happening at the New York Times. There will not be one panel discussion assembled on what needs to change at the New York Times. There won't be one. They're not even talking about it anymore. Now they're off and running on this Redskins business. Even though the people that were involved have been fired and let go, they've been shamed, they've been named. They're dumping on the Redskins, getting rid of the name, and they're going to be pressuring Snyder to sell the team. And none of this is going to make anybody happy. Now we go back to Leanne, Land Lakes, Florida. She works for a major corporation, 40,000 employees. CEO is a Marxist leftist demanding. Is, you know what it sounds like to me, Leanne, that's happening to your company? What? There's a story I have here from the New York Post uh, yesterday. Obscene federal diversity training scam prospers even under Trump. And here's the here, this is the nut of it. Critical race theory is what your CEO has bought into. That is the far left academic discourse centered on the concepts of whiteness, white fragility and white privilege. It is coursing through the federal government now. Last month, a private diversity consulting firm conducted a training titled Difficult Conversations About Race in Troubling Times for several federal agencies. The training called on white employees at Treasury, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the National Credit Union Administration, the Office of the Controller, to pledge allegiance 
to critical race theory amid the George Floyd tragedy. So it sounds like exactly what's happening at the federal government in the bureau, even with Trump in the White House, is exactly what's happening in your company. And now your CEO wants $5 million raised, pledged by the employees? Well, no, I think the company's going to commit that money. Oh, the CEO, the company's going to commit the money. I misunderstood. But, but also, I, I, they also want us to, to donate as well. Oh, okay. I'm sure, I thought I thought that's uh, that's what you meant. So you're having this forced on you every week. Every email week, after, email after email. So should I stand up? Should I say something? Well, to whom do you want to say something? I, I don't know. The CEO. Do you have access to the CEO? Does his door? Does he have a door open policy? Uh, email policy. Email policy. Um. Gee. The question. This is the, this is the question. Let me uh, let me ask you: do, do do you like your job? I, I like my job. Yes. Okay. Now, Leanne, this, the next question is a very important one. I understand your commitment to what you believe, and therefore your opposition to what your company is engaging in, and more than likely forcing you to be part of. Is this, opposition to this, is this the hill you want to make your stand on? Is this the hill you want to maybe die on? Or do you want to keep your powder dry? Yeah, that's the question I've been wrestling with. Yeah. Keep your powder dry for other opportunities. But of course, while you wait, this is only going to metastasize and get worse. Yeah, and I'm wondering how many other, you know, large companies are, are doing this type of thing. A bunch of them. You are not in a, a bunch of them. This is, it. Has, it it's note with this, this, when I call them the CEO class, I mean it. There is a class, like a, a, a an economic or a membership, there's a class of, like the political class is elected people. This is, there's a class of CEOs that have gone radical left in some of the major the biggest corporations in the country. And it's contrary to what everybody thinks. Everybody thinks big business is a bunch of Republicans that are cheating everybody. And it isn't. Big business today is far and away bankrolling the Democrat Party and financing this move to Marxism and communism. So I, if you're just one person, I would, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, and I, I wouldn't advise you to take on the CEO here. Right. Well, I, I just thought you would, you would find it interesting, just, you know, another story. I find it depressing. I find it, I find it depressing, and it ticks me off. It, it's because it's every, that's, that's This election really is crucial. There's only one way we've got even a slight chance stopping this. And it's keeping Trump in the White House and then keeping Trump motivated, inspired, and focused. If that doesn't happen, all of this stuff your CEO is doing and all the stuff that's happening in the reconcentration camps, the federal government that I just shared with you, it's going to be forced on everybody at some point. Everybody who disagrees, everybody who dares stand up to any of it is going to find out what that's going to cost them. There are people, Leanne, this was the toughest thing because I'm... Naive, and I'm a Pollyanna. 
on occasion. And when I was when I was a kid, you know, I was I was well educated on the founding of the country, and my family continued the education that I was getting in school. My family is made up of patriots. My family is made up of people who don't just love America, they cherish it. And they always have. And they have fought for it, members of my family. My family, you couldn't, we, we couldn't get it no matter where the family gathering was. All of us kids and grandkids were treated to conversations, discussions, miniature little speeches on the greatness of the country. We grew up. We grew up believing it. We grew up accepting it. We grew up loving it all. And I'll never forget when I first, and I don't remember when it was, and I don't remember how old I was except that I was young, when I first discovered that there are people in this country who hate it, you know, before I, I didn't know anything about communism yet. Well, that's not true because the family had told us everything we needed to know about communism. When I was nine years old, I knew. So what I but don't remember specifically when it was that I became aware that there are not, and these were not crackpot kooks. These were educated people literally hated the country. It didn't compute. I didn't understand it. I didn't, and it was not race-based. These are white people who hated it. I, I, I could not intellectually understand it. Not after what I'd been taught and not after what I'd been exposed to. I asked, well, how can anybody think that when I heard rampant criticism of the unfairness and the other imperfections and deficiencies? And then as I got older and branched out, and I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri. I went to, um, it, this is going to really, could be embarrassing, except I don't embarrass easy. Every holiday, major holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, where we grew up, everything was closed. There wasn't a thing open anywhere. Got up, went to church, or whatever. The, the, it was a day that the family, those who were in town, got together. The drugstores weren't even open. Nothing was open. Maybe the bars were. I had no idea. I was not old enough to be going to those, so I don't know. I moved to New York from Sacramento in 1988 in, um, in July. And my first Thanksgiving in New York... I, <laughs> It was an eye-opener, like it wasn't a holiday. Nobody was at home. Everybody was out. And I don't mean going to the parade. I mean, I, I myself was getting on a train to go celebrate Thanksgiving with some friends who lived uh, way up in Connecticut. It was my first time on the Long Island Railroad. I should have just got a car, but these guys said, No, we'll pick you up at the train station. You need to learn how to ride the train. Okay, so I ride the train. I was I was stunned going to Grand Central. It was like it wasn't Thanksgiving. It was, it was so foreign to me. So and and even before that, when I got to California, it was holidays were different. People just lived them and treated them differently. So I chalked it up Midwestern values. Small town, nothing is open anyway in a small town. There's not enough to be open. So 
my awareness of how things are different throughout the country was uh, a slow awakening. And I adjusted to all of that, and that's fine. That's not a complaint. It was when I first encountered the sheer, genuine, and to me, inexplicable hatred for the country I had been taught that was worth loving. I It, it, it just... I started asking, well, how can anybody hate this? And I still ask that question when I encounter people who despise it. Now, I intellectually understand it now far better than I did when I was very, very, very much younger. But the America that I was taught about, the America that I grew up loving, that I was told was the most special place on earth because of how it happened and how it's governed and how the people are in charge of their lives and the people are in charge of making of their lives whatever they want. It was taught the essence of freedom. That America is not going to exist anywhere if this election goes to Joe Biden, that America is what is under siege and under assault. That America is what's being destroyed. That is the the America I was taught about, the America I grew up loving, is what's being targeted by Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But now it's not. It's the Democrat Party, folks, that is providing the platform of legitimacy for these people who have never loved this country. We're not talking about people who have loved it and then grew tired of it. We're not talking about people who have come to an intellectual decision that America is deficient. These are people that grew up hating America because that's all they were taught. They don't know nothing. They don't know anything of what they believe. They haven't the slightest idea of the truth of this country. It's not like we're up against people who have at one time loved America like you and I do, and then things happen and they change their mind. These are people who have never loved this country and haven't the slightest idea why you or I do. All they've been taught is to despise it and hate it and to tear it down and to take you with it. And that is what is happening. They are a minority. They do not represent a majority of thinking. But they have been so successful at scaring people and at uh, intimidating people that whatever opposition to them exists is scared to death to show up, to say so. So we wait with bated breath every election to find out or for affirmation that we still have a country, the country that we know and love, a country that's the envy of the world. Anyway, again... I've gone over. Ruth, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has announced she's got cancer again. And I have some comments about that um, before the program ends. And, of course, back to your phone calls as well. So hang on. Don't go away. Okay, back to the phones and open line Friday. This is Karen in Palisadro, California. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Hi, Russ. Uh, blessings to you and your wife. You are in my daily prayers. I 
think that it's so important in today's world that we are factually educated and I've listened to you for years now talk about the Hillsdale online free classes. Oh yeah. And I and I finally signed up for one and I'm just finishing it now. It's the Second World Wars taught by uh, Victor Davis Hansen. Oh yeah, really, that is awesomely good. It really is. I love history. I have amazing parents who made sure that they took us all around the country seeing Civil War battlefields and old forts and historical things. You know, I'm 60, they're 91 and 86. And um, they took all me and my five siblings uh, doing that. And it was such an amazing way of learning things. And, you know, I try and be that learning person for my grandchildren now. And between... The Hillsdale course, which I will sign up for the next one as soon as this one is over. Your books have been just remarkable for my grandchildren. I have read them all to them. And in fact, my grandson, who is now 12, it was the book they read as the the pilgrim book. They read it in his fifth grade class. And he was all excited because he'd already read it. So that's uh, great. That is fantastic news to hear. Yes. Um, so, but you're, you know, you're right about grandparents, because a lot of parents, the parents of millennials, uh, the baby boomers, I'm one of them. Believe me, there are many in my generation who are worthless as, as nipples on a boar hog. My grandfather... My grandfather was born in the late 1800s. He idolized Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln died only 30 years before my grandfather was born. My grandfather idolized Abraham Lincoln like, and in Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt not particularly political party-wise, but because of the way he expanded the country and made us a true superpower with the establishment of the worldwide navy but he was devoted to lincoln we all grew up knowing as much as we could absorb from my grandfather about abraham lincoln no greater human being had ever lived in my grandfather's eyes than uh, abraham lincoln and when i went to new york first time my grandpa did you go to cooper union lincoln made a great speech there I said, I haven't been yet, Pop. He was disappointed that it wasn't the first thing I did. At any rate, um, I eventually did and told him so. But I got to go. I got a quick time out. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Now, looky here, folks. Uh, Health officials say no COVID-19 cases can be traced back to the July 3rd event at Mount Rushmore. Zilch, zero, nada. Anyway... I don't know where the time's going. It's zipping by here, so be patient. We'll be back and resume. Hi, welcome back. It's great to have you with us, folks. And it's a thrill and an honor, a delight to be with you. It always is. I'm Rush Limbaugh. I'm America's real anchorman. I also do a lot of truth detecting out there. And I am the doctor of democracy. Glad you're with us on Friday. Let's go. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. 
Overline Friday, telephone number 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushmore at eibnet.us. And let me remind you uh, again, I'll be here on Monday and then out next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's treatment week next week. There's an outside chance of being here Thursday, but I doubt it. I doubt we're going to be shooting for Friday, a week, a week from today. And I'll remind you again as the program nears its conclusion today and, and again on, um, on Monday. Okay, so the, the, the media is just overrun now. We've set another record, 77,000 uh, cases in one day, new American record, new worldwide record, whatever. Uh, in certain parts of the country, the, uh, the death toll is rising as well. This is all being laid off on Donald Trump. It's all Donald Trump's fault. And other Republican governors. I have a question. What do you think we need to do? I'm serious. What do you think needs to happen? There's a question before. Can this be stopped? Can we change these numbers? And if we can, what's it going to take to change the numbers? And then, if you think you know a way, change the numbers. Should we do whatever you think is the way to do it? I don't even know the numbers are accurate. We've got this story, Fox 35 out of Orlando, that 300 different testing sites are reporting 100% positivity. And a bunch of them... We're not even higher than 7.6% positivity, 9.4%. There's so much bogus information. We can't trust anything we hear. This is another great, great disappointment. We don't have a single institution that we can rely on. Some of you can't even rely on your church anymore. You've got pastors that are out there on all political all the time. And it's a, it's a sad, sad realization. Where do you go to believe what you're going to hear? There isn't, and the media doesn't fulfill that role anymore. Their job is to make it as sound as bad as they can. Their job is to make it sound as bad as they can and getting worse and no end in sight. And that's what they are doing. And that's what you're faced with every day if you're going to consume news. And then you're going to be told it's all Trump's fault because Trump doesn't care. But even if Trump cared, it wouldn't matter because Trump's incompetent. So he doesn't know what to do. So since he doesn't know what to do, Trump's just ignoring it. Trump's just hoping that it'll go away. Well, that's what the NFL's doing. So Major League Baseball. Oh, you know what happened to me last night, by the way? I'm sitting around. I'm channel surfing. I have Apple TV. I love Apple TV because of the way it enables me to watch TV. Anyway, I, re- I use Apple TV and DirecTV. I go back and forth. And the great thing about Apple TV is there's an up next queue. If you've watched anything, it remembers that and tells you when the next episode of whatever you're watching. There was an intra-squad St. Louis Cardinals game last night. 
at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. And because, because I have the MLB at bat.com app, and because I have used it, right there in the up next queue was St. Louis Cardinal intra-squad game. So I said, holy, holy. So I clicked on it, and they were in the eighth inning. And they said they're going to be another one tonight, but they hadn't decided what time because it's so hot in St. Louis that they're going to try to choose. It probably be a night intra-squad game. It's going to be televised. And then I assume that other teams are doing this as they prepare to play their play their season. And it was odd. They were. It was an intra-squad game, and it was a real game. And there were no fans. There might have been five people sitting in the, in the seats behind home plate. And there were probably team officials uh, properly distanced. But the stadium was empty, Mr. Snurdly. Totally empty. So my brother's a big Cardinals fan. So I said, to him, hey, there's an intra-squad game going on right now. I said, it's the eighth inning. You're probably going to miss it. I said, but they're going to do another one tomorrow night, meaning tonight. He couldn't wait to tell his friends and his cousin, my cousin too, that there was maybe people are hungering for the stuff. So, but anyway, what would you do? What would you do to stop? Well, the one thing you can do is stop watching the news. But but if if you think that there's something we can do to change the number of cases. The number of deaths, what would you do? Is there anything that can be done? Maybe the most important... Now, there were no fake crowd noises in the intra-squad intra game that I heard anyway, but I didn't watch it long enough to see what kind of production value they were putting into it. I just... So it was the eighth inning. I said, well, this thing's going to be over. It's never, it was something else I wanted to watch. Uh, so, but, but seriously, seriously, folks. We have locked down. I didn't do a thing. Locking down didn't stop the march of the disease, the virus. Didn't do a damn thing. Except destroy the United States economy in two months. But it didn't have any effect on the disease. Now, the media will not tell you. The media wants you to believe that locking down and shutting down stopped the disease and not nearly as many people died or would die. That's BS. You lock down all you want. The minute you open up, we get what we got right now. The minute you open up. But you lock down again, we're finished. If we lock down, if the Democrats convince a number of states to lock down again, we're finished. Can't recover from it second time. Not as you would want to recover from it. I mean, there's always going to be an America, and there's always going to be an American economy, and there's always going to be... Well, there won't always be America as we know it, but there's going to be an America... That's what the thing we shudder to think what that America would be if certain people win. I want to play a soundbite for Kevin McCarthy, who was on with Hannity last night on Fox. And 
Question, should the Republicans begin coalescing around a message of nationalizing the election? If we do not win this election, I don't know we'll ever have an opportunity to win it again because they will change the rules of the game. How we vote, they will change. You know, in California, they allow people who are not even citizens to vote in school board races. You know, in California, they lowered the age to 17. Do you know in California that you could turn your ballot in 17 days after the election? Those are things they're doing right now. That's what they'll go across the country. Yeah, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You talk about mail-in voting. And there's a story in the stack about mail-in voting. Let me, let me find this. About the new postal chief and what he's advising postal workers to do. That if they can't deliver everything every day, just set it aside. Set it aside and uh, try to get to it tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's a ticket. You may not be able to deliver everything um, in your bag. On one day, so just, here it is. U.S. Postmaster General tells postal workers to leave mail behind if it slows down their route. It's a business insider story. U.S. Postal Service's new Postmaster General has established new cost-saving policies that could slow down mail service. Mail carriers, the mailman is being told to leave mail behind at distribution centers rather than taking late trips, extra trips, rather than logging overtime. This, according to memos first reported on by the Washington Post and subsequently by businesses. Well, what if down the road there are a bunch of ballots in this mail that they just decide to leave in the distribution center? Hmm? Postal Service on financially shaky ground because of the coronavirus. Business Insider previously reported that it may run out of cash by the end of September. So this institution that the Democrats want to make responsible for delivering every single one of our ballots this election day. Now has an institution that's being told, hey, if you can't deliver it one day, leave it at the distribution center. Get to it when you can. Look, all the signs of potential disaster are there. Now, McCarthy, he's the uh, leader of the Republicans in the House, literally believes that if we don't win this election, we may never win another one because the Democrats are going to change the way we vote. Arbitrarily, lowering the voting age, lowering qualifications. And look, folks, they are authoritarian enough. They're already doing it in California. They'll do it wherever they think they can get away with it. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has issued a statement. She was in the hospital earlier this week. They said it was an infection wrong. She has now announced liver cancer. She issued a statement on May 19th. I began a course of chemotherapy. And then she mentions the particular drug, gemcitabine, to treat a recurrence of cancer. Periodic scan in February followed by a biopsy revealed lesions on my liver. My recent hospitalizations to remove gallstones and treat an infection were unrelated to this recurrence. Immunotherapy first Essayed proved success, unsuccessful. 
Immunotherapy is, by the way, the rave right now in um, certain kinds of cancer. You know what immunotherapy does? If if you can imagine, and this is real, I read a I read a part of a book. My friend Professor Hazlett sent it to me. He's fascinated by it. The uh, the team of people led by one doctor that invented or created the concept of immunotherapy, which the popular drug name is Keytruda. You know what it does? It rewrites it rewrites the body software. If you can imagine, it, it's a massive innovation. And I understand what that means, but I would have a heck of a time explaining it. But immunotherapy ramps up your immune system to attack specific things like cancer cells and leave everything else alone. Chemotherapy, for the most part, kills everything. Good cells, bad cells, and you live with getting sick as it kills good stuff because it's also killing, if it's working, the cancer cells as well. Immunotherapy leaves the healthy stuff alone. There are some side effects that can happen with immunotherapy with Keytruda, but it really innovatively is is a uh, such a huge advance. Rewriting the body's software. Now, um, it's it's a it's a tricky tricky thing. There was a the director of uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, the cancer center at the hospital in New York, said immunotherapy is what is allowing us to use the word cure with certain kinds of cancers. But it doesn't work for everybody. It's dependent on a lot of things. And it did not work for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So she had to go back to the chemotherapy route. And she writes that it's yielding positive results. She says, satisfied that my treatment course is now clear, I am providing this information publicly. My most recent scan on July 7th indicated significant reduction of the liver lesions and no new disease. I'm tolerating this chemotherapy well, and I'm encouraged by the success of my current treatment. I'm going to keep doing biweekly chemo to keep my cancer at bay, and I'm able to maintain my active daily routine. Throughout, I have kept up with opinion writing and all of the court's work. So, that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg announcing the discovery of lesions on her liver. Chemotherapy seems to have it at bay. Now, let's her history with this is big. I mean, she was first diagnosed with colon cancer in 1999. She's 87, and she's tiny, but she must be some kind of tough. She had cancer colon, or colon cancer in 1999. Ten years later, she was treated for pancreatic cancer. That's, you don't want that diagnosis, but she got it. Then nine years later, after surviving pancreatic, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Two years later, January 2020... They told her she was cancer-free. But, you see, this is the... They tell you that, but the truth is that the cancer will outsmart every drug we have eventually. Well, it can. So, anyway, she's now been fighting cancer for 20 years. Do you think that she keeps going? 
because she feels that she is important and vital to the country? Do you think she refuses to give up because she simply cannot face the prospect of resigning with a Republican president in office? She's not going to give a Republican president a chance to replace her. Does she love the job so much that she just doesn't want to do anything else? She doesn't want to quit. She doesn't want to retire. Is it is it that she just loves the job that getting out of bed every day, go to work is what sustains her? Is it, as I said, the fact she's not going to let a Republican name her replacement? Whatever, 20 years that she survived. And she's 87 and just no matter, she can't, she can't give the job up. It's fascinating to me. As I'm sure you can understand why it would be. I have to take a break and we will continue right after that. So don't go away, folks. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Rush Limbaugh, a household name in all four corners of the world. Anybody want to take on my question? What are we going to do? We got 77,000 cases that have reported one day. It is a record. Now the death rate supposedly is catching up with that. What are we going to do? What is there to be done? Anybody have any ideas? Here is Jerry in Milwaukee. I'm glad you waited, sir. You're up next to EIB Network. Hi. Hi, Russ. Um, well, I, I, I want to say this. I, I don't agree with everything that Black Lives Matter does. I don't agree with all their ideology, uh, the Marxism. But what I do agree, Russ, is that the, the police accountability is an important thing. It's not just interactions the police with people who are African-American. There are interactions with everybody. People are white, Hispanic, whatever. We need full police accountability in this country. Uh, qualified immunity lets cops violate the law. And, and if they violate the law, then it's usually the cases are thrown out under qualified immunity. Uh, police unions protect bad cops. There's too many bad cops protected. There's a lot of good cops, a lot of great cops, but bad cops are protected by police unions. So we have a country that's police. The police should be accountable to us, the American people. You know, that's what we need, and you that's know, what we deserve. You know what? I would, I would love for there to be somebody call me and tell me we need the accountability of the of the uh, of the damn United States media. They've been lying to people for four years. They're misleading. They're misrepresenting. They're destroying public education, civic knowledge, and there's no accountability for the mainstream media because they've got constitutional protection. There's no accountability for the Democrat Party and the mistakes they're making. The Democrat Party is doing more to harm this country than any number of cops you could parade in front of me. There are so many more destructive agents out there than the cops. The cops aren't paid diddly squat for what they have to deal with now. I understand there's bad actors among the cops, but you're willing to side somewhat with Black Lives Matter, a Marxist, and you even acknowledge they're a Marxist communist organization, but they may have a point on the cops for crying out loud. This is all right. Audio sound by time in Portland, Portland, Oregon, uh, KPTV, Eyeball TV News, Portland police officer Jakari Jackson. Uh, African-American police officer. Oh, by the way, I kind of I went off on the last caller. The guy hit a button. He triggered me. This, this, you know, I'm not, I'm not a total supporter of Black Lives Matter, but there does need to be police accountability. There is police accountability 
There's more police accountability than there is media accountability. There's more police accountability than there's Democrat Party accountability. There's, they're defunding the police. They're shutting down police departments. They're, they're, they're reducing them inside. In New York, they're destroying the police department. What more do you want? When you want police accountability, they're making it impossible for police departments to recruit people. You're automatically guilty. You're automatically put on a uniform. You're a racist, you're a bigot, and you're a murderer. According to the Democrat Party, according to Black Lives Matter, according to the American left. Yeah, okay, police accountability, fine and dandy, but we need accountability in a whole bunch of other institutions as well. That people don't seem to be upset about at all. We're not even getting the truth about COVID-19 numbers. The models projecting the death rate and the case rate, they're not right. They haven't ever been right. Where's the outrage? They continue to be used. They continue to be cited every time a new modeling outfit puts out new numbers. They're glommed onto like they are gospel. And they haven't been right yet, just like they haven't been right when it comes to projecting climate change or anything else that relies on uh, on modeling. If you think the cops need accountability, you're nothing more than a prisoner of your mind having been exposed to too much mainstream media. You're getting caught up in narratives that you think are really news when they're not. It isn't news. It's the advancement of a particular narrative, which can be reduced to being the Democrat Party agenda. So here's an African-American cop in Portland where the cops are automatically guilty. Trump is wanting to send people in there to straighten it out. The mayor of Portland is not at all interested in any kind of help. The police officer's name is Jakari Jackson. Here's what he had to say about his experience as an African-American police officer during recent protests in Portland. A lot of times, someone of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, come up to the fence and directly want to talk to me. Hey, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you think about what happened about this? I go up to the fence. Someone white comes up. F the police. Don't talk to him. I got to see folks that really do want change like the rest of us that have been impacted by racism and then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about never experienced racism they don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against my people he's talking about these white millennials particularly predominantly women who come up to him and start screaming their lungs out calling him names, you racist bigot, you pig, you pig in a blanket, we're going to fry you, you him, whatever you... And he says they don't even know what they're talking about. They've just been raised on pure hatred. And they are engaging in the very same kind of activity they claim to be opposing. They're wealthy white women, millennials, running up and calling a black cop a bunch of racist names, and they don't see the irony in that. And he does. He says they don't even know the tactics they are using are the same tactics used by white racists on blacks. And it is kind of 
fascinating in a way that these holier-than-thou, white, female, affluent, liberal women start shouting all of these horribly rotten racist names at black cops and including words like traitor and so forth. And they have no idea that they're actually engaging in the same kind of behavior that they ostensibly uh, oppose. Here's uh, here's Gail. Gail's in Newfield, Maine. You're next on Open Line Friday. Hi. Good afternoon, Rush. Um, first of all, I'm a major Rush fan. Um, I pray for you and Catherine every day. Thank and you. I'm a, an ex- Thank you very and much. I love our, and I'm a patriot, and I love our country. And it's the greatest country on earth. And I agree this is the most important election of our lives for everything you've talked about. My question is very, very simple. We have these riots and this um, looting going on and killing going on in New York, going on in Chicago, going on in Portland, going on in L.A. Our president has offered graciously to go in with whatever force needed to help and straighten out the situation. He is always, they always say, no, 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 we've got it covered, we've got it covered. Obviously, they don't. Is there a legal thing he could do to go in and settle this down? And my, one of the reasons I'm saying it is because it, it breaks my heart what they're doing to the cities, number one. Number two, he will get blamed for it, even though it's in Democratic cities. And um, I keep hearing these little whispers that he's going to do something. He's going to do something. Take over the, the, the answer, Rush. I know you'll answer it perfectly. And tell me what you think he's going to do, what he can do, and is it legal? That's it. Well, a, let's go in reverse. It would be legal if he wants to send in troops. Eisenhower has done it. Previous presidents have done it. Uh, they've done it during Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, Eisenhower sent the troops in to open the schools in Arkansas. Um, when the segregationist senator and leadership of the Senate of, of the state of Arkansas would not comply with federal law, so yeah, the precedent's there. But here's the here's the problem, Gail, that the president faces. You are aware that ever since Trump took the stroll across Lafayette Park to the church that had been firebombed. He grabbed a bunch of people in the administration and some military people. They went with him. And when he got to the church, he held up a Bible. And they took pictures. And it was said to be a photo op. The president was said to be insincere, just using everybody that followed him over there. What happened was that a bunch of military people, including the chairman of Chief Joints of Staff, Mark Milley, some other military people, including the Secretary of Defense, said, I resent the president using me this way. I am not political. The military is not political. And we we resent being used this way. So Trump is very aware in this climate that if he orders the military to go, say, to Portland or to the CHOP zone in Seattle or anywhere, what if the military refuses? I mean, they've already, the intelligence community bunch were already running coups against this guy for the last four years on this totally made-up Russian collusion business. We've got a bunch of different kind of generals. We've got, we've got politically correct generals, and we've got warrior generals. Uh, we've got 
political generals and we got generals and admirals and so forth <clears throat> who are made it clear they're not Trump supporters. What if they refused? I mean, Trump could order the troops in, but the troops are going to be following orders from the commander. What if the commanders, what if the chairman of chief joints refuses? Trump cannot afford to have that happen. And he's well aware, he's well aware of the political opposition he has and where it is. He's fully aware of every obstacle that he's going to have to overcome. Now, you're saying, he's commander-in-chief. They have to. Yeah, they do. But we live in times that you and I have not experienced before, folks. And that's, that's a risk that I don't think that Trump can take. So the alternative here is to make sure everybody understands that it's the Democrat Party that's not doing anything about the rioting and the property destruction and the looting and every bit of this civil... It's, this is not civil disobedience. This is violence. The objective now is to tie it to blue states and the governors and the mayors in them. And that's what Trump is doing. That's the best route to go here. And that's what he's doing. And he's, he did it brilliantly at the um, Mount Rushmore speech. Then the next night at the White House, uh, July 4th speech. And he's tying Biden to all of this. That is the smartest thing to do, to let everybody know. Because I'll tell you something. The media is, is, the media have stopped reporting on the rioting. You know, there's riots every night in Portland, but you're not seeing the video. They're not showing you. Not CNN, not PMS, NBC. You're not, you have to look for it at, in local media to find it. But the national media has stopped televising as a routine, the nightly disobedience, the riots. So as far as the American people are concerned, the riots may be over. Even Conrad Black's piece today, Conrad Black assumes, because he's not seeing any riots, that the riots are over and that Trump has prevailed. But are the riots over? I think the media has figured out that televising the riots was not hurting Trump. They thought they could damage Trump with this by televising the right, showing America in chaos. Donald Trump's fault. But instead, the polling that they have on it obviously shows that it's the Democrats that run these states and cities that are catching the grief for it. As they should. Trump's got nothing to do with these people rioting. He's the only one talking about trying to stop it. The mayors and the governors in these blue states are talking about how these people have the right to riot. You come up with the chop zone or the chaz zone of Seattle and this mayor out there calls it a love-in or some such thing. So I don't really know if the riots have stopped. But the media has stopped televising them if they are still happening. And they've stopped trying to tie uh, Donald Trump to it. Look, I appreciate the call, Gail. Gotta go again. I don't know where the time is going today. Just zipping by here. 
you know, I forgot something. I had it in the stack of stuff today. It didn't. It didn't ring a bell. I had. I had my memory jogged. The question: What can the president do about the unrest in these cities and states that are run by Democrats? Let me tell you what they're doing in Oregon, in Portland. Federal law enforcement officers have been using unmarked cars and vehicles to drive around downtown Portland and detain protesters. This has been going on for three days now, since July 14th. Personal accounts and multiple videos posted online show the officers driving up to people, detaining them with no explanation of why they're being arrested and driving off with them. Why are you shaking your head? This is this is this is what the Trump administration is doing. What what are they doing? They're just they're they're just they're doing it. They're saying the hell with this. Okay, can't send the uh, uniform military in there. We'll do it ununiform military. We'll do it unmarked cars. We'll pick them up like we're taking them to Shake Shack. And we're taking them to a shack, but it ain't the Shake Shack. It's got bars on the windows and doors. Well, I tell you, I don't know. The time is is gone, and feel like uh, left a lot of stuff on the sidelines here. But it was still a very, very comprehensive program. More content here than you'll find in a week's worth of stuff elsewhere in the media. Remain very proud of that. Hope you have a great weekend, folks, as you ward off all of the disinformation that's polluting practically everything we do. And we'll be back here on Monday. See you then. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.